0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. I am so excited to share today's conversation with you. Fertility awareness is something I've wanted to talk about on this podcast from the beginning. I actually have a sheet of paper where I wrote down a bunch of ideas for episodes when I first started the pod, and this was number one. When I connected with author and fertility awareness educator Lisa Hendrickson Jack, it was like all my dreams were coming true female health and zero waste coming together. It's amazing. Before we get into today's chat a few bits of information for you. Lisa uses necessarily explicit language in some cases to be as clear as possible. Think of it as the sex ed class you should have had in school. This conversation focuses on plastic-free sex between a male and female partner because the topic is fertility awareness as a method of birth control. But that being said, I think every woman should be aware of how their bodies work for optimal health, so look into it either way. We don't cover condoms, IUDs, or any other form of barrier method. We're just talking about fertility awareness as a form of birth control and the effects of hormonal contraceptives like the pill on our overall health. And lastly, my views in this episode are my views, and Lisa's views are her views, backed by studies and years of research. So take it or leave it, it's up to you. But if you come away from today's topic with anything, I want it to be that you deserve a healthy awareness of your reproductive health as well as a loving, safe relationship. Without further ado, let's go. So,
1: I discovered fertility awareness when I was pretty young. I was just out of high school, and it was in my first year of university. And I actually needed birth control. So before I had been on the pill for period pain because I didn't have any other solutions as Mm -hmm. a teenager. Uh, But I had this sense that it shouldn't be like that. So when it came time for me to use birth control, well, first of all, because I hadn't been on the pill for birth control, I hadn't I hadn't been having sex when I was on it. I wasn't taking it at the right time, so I felt like when I needed birth control, my thought process was, well, I'll be stressed a hundred percent of the time if I ever like miss a pill or take it at the wrong right. time. Yeah so I'll just use condoms all the time. And I grew up in the eighties and nineties when condoms were described as an effective method of (laughs) preventing pregnancy. So I thought, well, if I'm using condoms all the time, then let me just ditch the pill. So it was right around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. So it was kind of like the perfect timing because I had planned to use condoms. And then I discovered that I wasn't fertile every day and that I could track my cycle. And there were times of my cycle when I could have sex uh, unprotected and not get pregnant. And so that's how my journey essentially started. So I was really enthusiastic, as you can imagine. And uh, I discovered that there was a group of women on my university campus who were teaching charting. And so I, you know, initially was an attendee, but very soon on, I started teaching and I took a class together with a group of women. And I was teaching this at kind of like that grassroots level for a long time. And when I had my first child, so over a decade later, I realized that I had been able to take for granted this information for my entire 20s, basically. Mm, And, you know, so many women are having trouble getting pregnant. And even though I had been aware of this information, there wasn't much of a shift on a bigger scale. So the average woman still had no idea and to this day still has no idea how her cycle works. So that is what prompted me to then get a bigger microphone, you could say, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a big megaphone and start uh, seeing if there was a broader audience of women who were interested in this. And so, yes, they were. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how it all came about.
0: That's amazing that they had a group on your university campus talking about this stuff because I had never heard of it myself outside of kind of Catholic circles is where I've gained all of my knowledge about it. But beyond that, just general knowledge about this stuff is not well known. And it's frustrating because you're like, this is so valuable. Everybody needs to know this.
1: Yeah, well, we both live in Canada, and so I went to the University of Alberta. Uh, at the time, Justice HealthWorks for Women was located in Edmonton, the physical location. Okay. And so the group of women on the campus, some of them were, like Geraldine, the founder, she was... Like she came to the meetings and she was part of it. And I, wow. I believe she still does sometimes because it's still there. It's still happening. Mm-hmm. And some of the other women who were there, you know, had been training under her. And so there was a, a mixture of, you know, trained educators, t- training educators. But what it meant for me was that I had access to uh, women who weren't, weren't only just charting, but who were at the instructor level of charting. So I was able to learn very, very soon on in my fertility awareness journey from people who were really experienced. Very early on in my journey, I recognized that it was not just about birth control, though, I mean, awesome, hormone-free <laughs> yeah. birth control, Yeah, but I learned very on in my journey that the cycle was a way that you could track health. Um, and in my case, I had really long uh, cycles. Sometimes my average cycle for the first couple of years of charting was like 38 days. And I, I know this because I, have, I, I would write it all in the book and like calculate the average. And so it was my charting instructor who looked at my charts and she was like, yeah, your temperatures are super low, your, t- your cycles are too long, and I think you should get your thyroid checked. And it turned out that I did have an issue with my thyroid. So very early on, I recognized like, wow, if someone can look at my charts and see something about my health, like there's a lot more to this charting than what I thought because I just thought it was going to be birth control and that's really what you know all I was looking for at like the ages (laughs) 18 looking for birth control
0: right so for people who are just entering this conversation for the first time learning about fertility awareness can you give us a brief overview of what it is and like you said how it goes beyond just avoiding pregnancy or conceiving
1: well fertility awareness in a general sense, is understanding how your menstrual cycle works. And so simply understanding your cycle typically involves demythifying a few things. So uh, most women are taught that you can get pregnant every day of your cycle. And it's kind of like this fear tactic when you're uh, growing up. So in junior high sex ed class, it's like you can get pregnant every day. There's no safe days. Like basically be afraid all the time.
0: Yeah. Nobody have any sex, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. we're not going to give you any context or any information Mm -hmm. or actually explain how any of it works. So just be afraid, go about your business, right? And so fertility awareness is based on the biology of how your menstrual cycle actually works. And so it turns out that that is not true. We are not fertile every day of the cycle, so that does mean that there are days of the cycle where you can have unprotected sex, like a, a man, you know, ejaculating inside of your body. And I, I'm, I'm explicit for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are days of your cycle when you can have unprotected sex and not get pregnant because the window of fertility, from a scientific perspective, is actually six days. And so wow. we produce yeah. cervical fluid, and that's uh, can be kind of like lotiony or clear stretchy like raw egg whites so we produce this fluid as we approach ovulation and sperm can survive in that fluid for up to five days and then you ovulate on one day of the cycle and so that is a total of six days when uh, you can have sex and pregnancy could result and so when you're using it as a method of course you're going to add a buffer period based on the science and so you know that has been well established but generally speaking there's about a, a week out of your entire menstrual cycle where pregnancy is possible. And outside of that period of time, your vagina is acidic, your cervix is closed and blocked with a thick mucus plug. And there's, you know, after ovulation, there's no eggs. So there's actually specific times of your cycle where pregnancy is impossible. So fertility awareness is based on that. Biological understanding, and it totally blows most everyone's mind when you learn this for the first time. So, basically, it allows you to make choices. So, some women are going to use that information obviously to time sex for conception because when you're taught in junior high that you can get pregnant every single day and then you actually start trying to get pregnant and it doesn't happen for a couple months
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're kind of like what
0: yeah like what's wrong with me yeah but it's what, just the timing it's taught
1: that this is this is going to happen regardless every day and so then you realize oh wait there's actually a specific time. So for women who are wanting to get pregnant, there's this is very helpful because you can then understand that there is a certain time and figure out when that is. But then if you are wanting to avoid pregnancy, so a lot of women can't use birth control. There are women who have such bad side effects or bad reactions to it that they can't use it. And other women are just getting to that point where they may be concerned about their health or they might be concerned about, you know, other things. And so they want to stay away from hormones. And so it is possible then to use this information within a particular method and learn the rules and understand it. Avoid unprotected sex on your fertile days. You have the option to have unprotected sex on your infertile days. And this is actually up to 99.4% effective for birth control so it's not the rhythm method and we can get into that if you want Mm -hmm.
0: what is the rhythm method because that's another myth that I've heard of and is kind of expounded upon as uh, being very incorrect and assuming in uh, Tony Weschler's book taking charge of your fertility and that's that's my entrance into this that's the book that I read cover to cover a couple years ago and just loved it so the rhythm method is assuming quite a bit about your cycle can you explain that a bit
1: yeah for sure and tony weschler's taking charge of your fertility was also the first book that i bought so i call it the gateway Drugs to fertility it rhythm, is. Oh my gosh. Charting, of course <laughs> i want to know so uh, much more <laughs> so the rhythm method is an actual method yeah if you will of uh, birth control but it's not a, a highly effective method at all hmm. and the reason for that is that the rhythm method is really based on calendar charting uh, calculating your average cycle so it's based on the idea that if you chart a certain number of cycles and you start to see a pattern in when you ovulate that you can calculate the average basically of it and then guess and estimate when you're going to be fertile based on your previous cycles Mm -hmm. and so uh, there's a reason why there's a saying if you've never heard it you know there's another word for people who use the rhythm method parents (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and the reason for that is because if you ask (laughs) any woman who's charting her cycles for more than say six cycles so you know any woman who's uh, been charting her cycles for a period of time uh, she'll tell you that Even if our cycles are quite consistent and quite regular, ovulation does not actually happen on the same day every cycle. Mm -hmm. It's possible for ovulation to happen earlier or later. And so the the main difference between the rhythm method and the fertility awareness method or modern fertility awareness based methods is that you're not guessing. It has, you know, it's nice to have information about your past cycles because it's interesting. And it's nice to have a record of your cycles to see if, if they fluctuated. So I've been charting for about 20 years now. And so, yeah, it's nice to be able to see that, you know, how things were in my 20s that versus is so how fun. they are now in my 30s. <laughs> but with that said, it doesn't mean that that past information is going to tell me when I'm going to ovulate. So the main difference is that when you're using the fertility awareness method, you're tracking the, the or modern fertility awareness based method. So there's many different ways to do this. But the way that I teach my clients is uh, what's called the symptothermal method. So we're looking at the symptoms. You're looking at your cervical fluid and your cervical position, which is an optional sign. And you're looking at the thermal, the, the temperature. And so you combine that information. And what you do is you check your signs every day. So you check for cervical fluid every day. If you're checking cervical position, check that as well. And then you take your temperature. And based on that information, you determine each day if you're fertile or not, based on what you saw, and it actually has nothing to do with your past cycles. And that's the reason why modern fertility awareness-based methods, so particularly the symptom thermal method, has been found to basically be as effective as hormonal contraceptives when it's used correctly. That's Um, right. And of course, I say when it's used correctly. So the huge difference between this method, so between using a fertility awareness-based method and using hormone mm-hmm. is that <laughs> when you use hormonal birth control, uh, so if you use the pill, there's like a part that's you, cause you have to take it. And then there's a part that's the pill, the pill that changes your body. And the way I refer to it is that hormonal contraceptives make your body resistant to sperm, right? Okay. Cause your partner can ejaculate inside of your body and the sperm doesn't do anything because it, you know, they prevent you from ovulating or they interfere with the implantation process or whatever the case is, but they make your body resistant to sperm is how I say it. Okay. When you're using, uh, fertility awareness method your body is doing its thing so you are still ovulating and so it's entirely up to you as the user of the method to learn how it works understand it and right. avoid unprotected sex on those days so i don't say that to make it seem like it's really difficult but just that there's a level of responsibility want to do this, it's really yeah. up to you
0: yeah yeah and there's a like Similar to the task of having to make sure that you take the pill at the same time every day. Um, Instead, you're thinking about just being aware every single day, tracking your symptoms, maybe tracking them together with a partner so that you're able to make those conscious choices together and be a little bit more responsible in that sense.
1: Well, and I think it's it's interesting because if someone's hearing this for the first time, Mm. you know, of course... It's natural to think like that. Sounds like a lot of work. You know, it sounds really complicated. You have to learn how to do this. You have to track your your symptoms every day, and you know, yes, there is certainly a bit of work involved. And you could compare it to learning how to drive right? You had to learn.
0: <laughs> and mm-hmm. there was like
1: road signs that you had to figure out. But once you learn how to drive, it's not like you have to learn how to drive every day. Like once you know, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like you put in the time initially and you do it. And what I always say is like, well, you know, did you brush your teeth this morning? Well, yeah. So if you, if you can manage to brush your teeth in the morning, it's, it's similar in terms of the amount of time and energy that it mm-hmm. takes on a daily Basis. And one other thing that I'll say is that I, as even though I'm an educator and I've been doing this for a really long time, I don't believe that every single woman on earth, you know, needs to do this and and should do it because I don't, I'm not going around telling anyone what they should do. (laughs) The thing with fertility awareness is that women who listen to this episode, for example, listen to this uh, conversation and they gravitate to it, you know, It resonates with them. Women self-select to this method. No one's forcing anyone to do it. Actually, a lot of people are saying, don't do it. It doesn't work, right? So a lot of people are actually saying, don't do it. But for women who self-select in in this method, uh, what I find is that they're, you know, they're motivated. They're really interested. It's not like work because they're so excited to learn about their cycle. So it's actually this process of, I'm like, wow, look what my body's doing today. And so it's, you know, for women for whom this resonates, it's actually not this like tedious thing.
0: Exactly. And I if I may compare it to the zero waste lifestyle, which a lot of our listeners are also on board with, you are taking things one day at a time, it's going to take you a period of time, maybe many months to be able to track this information, to do your trash audit, to do your uh, fertility awareness method uh, tutorials and stuff. But if you're interested enough, you're going to keep bothering learning about it, you're going to keep learning on purpose, uh, and pursuing this information. And so throw it away if you don't care about it, like if you don't care about this information that you're getting but if this is something that resonates with you like you said then you're gonna put the work in
1: and for women who resonate with it I mean there's a lot of reasons why I resonated with it one of them is that there's a lot of different areas of my life where I've kind of enjoyed being you could say autonomous or something like that Mm -hmm. so for instance you know menstrual products when I discovered uh, menstrual cups. I was like and I buy it once and it can last me for like 5 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to walk down the product aisle and like be dependent on, you know, like And everyone knows plus, like, that like excellent. I'm on my
0: period because I'm buying these and like it's just yeah, it feels so and much I reuse better.
1: Reuse it and it's not like it's good for me, it's not exposing me to chemicals, but it's also reusable, so I feel like I'm kind of doing my part for the environment. So in in that same kind of idea with charting, it's similar because I can learn how to do this. I can put in the time and learn once. I can understand my body like bonus, right? I can start making the connections between my menstrual cycle and my overall health because that's a bigger part of it that people don't necessarily come to it for, but it happens. But in addition to that, then all of a sudden I don't have to go to a doctor and be dependent on another person for a prescription for something that changes my body. And I'm not even, you know, most women aren't even sure what it's really doing to you. I can just figure this out. And be independent and autonomous in my choices. And so, for a lot of women, that's a big part of it because, like, this is a way for you to empower yourself. And if you don't like the idea of, having to depend on somebody and not really understanding how your body works like this offers you kind of like the opposite the alternative
0: i love that so we could go in two directions here i would like to discuss both what the pill does um, as far as changing our hormones or um, its effect on our health and then i would also like to discuss why um, you named your book the fifth vital sign so um, which direction do you want to go in Well,
1: we can talk about how the pill works and then sure. that we can go back to the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. I think that could work. What's helpful to understand about the pill is that a lot of the things that we're told about it aren't exactly accurate. So I remember when I was younger hearing that, okay, the pill is like, you know, it makes your body think that you're pregnant. And so it was almost as though it's like a natural state. Mm. And also, well, the pill regulates your periods. And so you get the idea that you're still getting normal periods. It's just that you can't get pregnant. Mm, and so neither yeah. of those things are accurate. <laughs> so the pill, in order for it to work, and one of the reasons why it's so effective, and and I'll say the pill and other hormonal contraceptives. So sure. all hormonal contraceptives have at least one or two of the three main modes of action. So the first main mode of action, the majority of hormonal contraceptives suppress ovulation, either completely suppress ovulation, so you're not ovulating at all, or at least somewhat interfere with or partially suppress ovulation. Wow. And so, uh, you know, it's not the same as getting your period. So, in order to get a true actual menstrual period, you have to ovulate. And so, there's a difference between a true menstruation where you have a natural cycle, you're not on anything, you ovulate. Spontaneously, you know, like on your own, and then you get your period about 12 to 14 days after ovulation. So, in order to have a true period, you had to ovulate. And so, part of the reason that we make the distinction is that it's only when you ovulate that you're making your natural hormones, estrogen, and progesterone. And so, you make estrogen as you approach ovulation. You still make estrogen after ovulation, but you make significantly more progesterone. And you actually don't produce significant amounts of progesterone unless you actually do ovulate. Mm-hmm. And so the estrogen and progesterone work together to mature at the uterine lining and help it to develop and grow. And so then when you're getting a period after ovulation, you're getting a true actual menstrual bleed of you know the uterine lining that has been fully developed and matured through this natural process. Now, when you're on hormonal contraceptives, they're suppressing ovulation. So your natural hormone levels are not the same as a woman who is not on birth control and they're not the same as a woman who is pregnant because a pregnancy is a natural state and when you're pregnant your estrogen and progesterone skyrocket it's like a it's like a second puberty in a way because of how your body is just yeah. flushed with these natural hormones and it makes, you know, so many significant changes to your body, to your uterus, to your breasts, obviously making you uh, making lactation possible. So there's so many things that are happening that are absolutely not happening when you're on birth control. Exactly, so if yeah. you were to compare the hormone levels, like the natural output of your own estrogen and progesterone for a woman who's on the pill, it would actually more closely resemble menopause.
0: Interesting,
1: Because the pill is suppressing ovulation So you're not ovulating anymore and your ovaries are then dormant. Wow. And so like what other time in your life are your ovaries dormant? Well, when you go through menopause, but of course let's put you into a temporary chemical menopause to prevent you from getting pregnant is obviously not a sexy title. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's not good for advertising. People are going to go for that. So, um, So then we talk about it in a different way. And so, you know, if you understand, that, so I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm explaining from a biological perspective what's yeah. happening, yeah. and so if you can understand that, then all of a sudden it makes sense when you hear things like, why is this 20-year-old having vaginal dryness and painful intercourse and all kinds of stuff, oh, right? Yeah. Because it's dramatically suppressing her natural hormones, yeah. and so that's one of the main modes of action, and of course, it's designed to do that, and it has to do that in order for it to work. This is why it's effective, right? because if you're not ovulating, you cannot get pregnant, Yeah ovulation is mandatory for pregnancy, you know, in a natural birds and the bees kind of way. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the main mode of actions. And uh, another main mode of action is that uh, the pill prevents the uterine lining from fully developing. So I should say the pill and other hormonal contraceptives. So then uh, without the natural, you know, estrogen and progesterone, you're getting a thin endometrium that it, even if somehow an egg were to slip through, you know, it's very unlikely that it would implant because the lining isn't fully developed and then the third main mode of action is that uh, the pill closes your cervix with a thick mucus plug. So when you're on hormonal contraceptives that are suppressing ovulation entirely or even partially, what will what you will not see cervical fluid. So you won't see the clear, stretchy, fertile quality cervical fluid that you would see in a natural cycle. So those three main modes of action together prevent
0: pregnancy and that's crazy (laughs) that they've developed something that can do that it's amazing
1: well and you know isn't that interesting right that we aren't taught that yeah. and that we're told something completely different so if you understand this gets right into your second question which is you know why did I call my book the fifth vital sign so we're sold this information growing up that you know your your menstrual cycle only matters if you want to have babies and yeah. you know oh, the I only thing that. you were basically it's like saying we're a little reproductive units and the only thing we were put on earth to do is to to reproduce and it's kind of Not kind of, it's completely sharing this idea that if you like that, your ovaries, the whole function of your menstrual cycle is exclusively for babies and has nothing to do with any other parts of your body. And so, you know, this sets the stage to then go on hormonal contraceptives that suppress ovulation because you kind of think, well, if I'm not trying to have a baby, what do I need to be ovulating for?
0: And it makes you feel like that's something to be almost shamed as being part of your femininity or part of your body. And to have that shame or that, like, separating that from the rest of your vital signs or the rest of your overall health is is anti-feminist in my opinion.
1: Yes, I, I, totally, I totally agree that it, it's kind of weird, right? And it, it doesn't really align. An analogy that I like to use when I describe it is if I was going to car dealership to buy a car, you know, I can buy that car with or without air conditioning and mm-hmm. it's not going to change how the car functions, how the engine runs, you know. But if I, and we kind of think that that applies to us, but we're not, it's not, it's not like that. So the first thing is to get the idea in our head that, our menstrual cycle. So for a woman of, uh, so biological woman of reproductive age, the menstrual cycle, it's not like an add on. <laughs> it right. came with the whole package. And we don't only have uh, receptors for our estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. We don't only have those, you know, in the ovaries and the uterus, we have them all throughout our body. Right. And so if we can get our head around that, then it means that for a woman of reproductive age to have optimal health, part of that is having a, a normal, healthy menstrual cycle. And there's a few examples that help to illustrate this. So when women stop Ovulating, so in the case of hypothalamic amenorrhea (HA), for example, so a lot of you know women are familiar with you know if if she's an athlete, if she's an Olympic athlete, maybe she loses her period. We kind of think that that's normal and okay. So, uh it's common, of course, for hardcore athletes to have disrupted cycles or to lose their periods, but that doesn't mean that it's healthy because women who lose their periods. So they stop ovulating and they're no longer menstruating for a period of six months or more, or have a lifetime greater risk of developing osteoporosis or, or wow. suffering bone fractures. Because it turns out <laughs> that... The reason that you've lost your cycle in that case is due to a combination of overexercise, undernutrition, and stress. So your body's essentially starving. Wow. And your cycle is essentially just an indication of the underlying issue that's happening, like the cycle stopping.
0: That's such a valuable so, thing to know. Right?
1: I mean, that's pretty, like, even if you never want to have kids, this is yeah, This is the other thing, because I often get the question of, like, well, what if I never want to have kids, so, right? Like, yeah. well, even if you never want to have kids, I'm guessing you want to have healthy bones. Uh, menstrual cycle disruptions are also linked to other conditions. So women who have long, irregular cycles As is seen in the case of PCOS, Mm -hmm. Uh, PCOS is characterized by glucose intolerance, inflammation, and insulin resistance. And so women with PCOS are actually twice as likely to develop diabetes because what they're experiencing in many cases is a a metabolic issue that then is kind of like the precursor to diabetes in in a way, like in a very general loose kind of way, but so again, the cycle issue, we look at that as a problem, like okay, I have irregular periods, that is the issue but the irregular periods are the sign of an underlying issue and if we paid attention to that, we could actually correct the underlying issue the cycles would resume normally, so the cycles are a mirror to your health and if the cycles are consistently off, then it's saying okay, there's something we should be looking at if we can get our heads around that, then we can kind of get rid of this nonsense idea that our, you know, periods are only important if we're trying to have babies and we're just these reproductive units and, you know, that's just complete hogwash.
0: And the idea that your period is a nuisance, that's just this thing that happens once a month and that there's nothing else cyclical about you, there's nothing else that's happening behind the scenes. My heart just breaks for all of the young people who have gone through this or are going through this now where they have irregular or uncomfortable or just strange periods and they are automatically put on the pill without question and are not able to identify larger, larger things that might be, their bodies might be trying to tell them.
1: Well, I mean, the modern medical system, so, you know, your average MD, it's not necessarily part of their training in the general sense Mm -hmm. to look for the root cause. You know, modern allopathic medicine is not root cause medicine. Uh, the medical system is very much uh, and this isn't a, a diss to the medical system it's just again saying what it is mm-hmm. it's that when you go to the doctor the, the the modality the paradigm is kind of like a pill for every ill so it's not looking at why you have high blood pressure it's just saying you have high blood pressure so we're going to give you blood pressure medication right. um and it's not even saying that there's anything wrong with that but a lot of us at this stage of life and at this um point in time a lot of us don't want that we want more we want to be healthy we don't just want to take a pill every day and not understand why there's this issue in our body and so i think what's important because periods can obviously be a nuisance oh, <laughs> <And yeah. laughs> for women who have really painful heavy periods yeah. it can be horrible Every time. And so there's a lot of women that have a really negative experience with their periods, and they hate their periods. Yeah. Um, And so... And I had really heavy, painful periods for a long time. You know, I still at least discovered early on this information. So even as I was going through that, I did appreciate the broader sense, but it doesn't mean that I wanted to have, you know, painful, ridiculous periods. So for the listeners, you know, if you take anything from this conversation, what I would say is that, yeah, it's really common for women to have period issues. It's really common for women to have pain or to have heavy periods or even to have irregular cycles. And although it's common, that doesn't make it normal or healthy. And we're kind of told that, oh, yeah, it's totally normal to have these horrible periods. It's totally normal to have pain all yeah. the time. But can you think of any other situation in life where moderate to severe pain is considered to be totally fine?
0: Childbirth, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Actually, that's actually good. That, 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 like, that got me. Yeah. But... <laughs> But even like childbirth is childbirth. Like, yeah. You get a child at the end. I've had period pain that rivals my, because uh, I've had two babies. Wow. Um, so I've had period pain that rivals uh, the early stages oh of childbirth. Gosh,
0: i so And you sorry.
1: don't get a baby at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why am I going through this? So just to, just to say, you know, Every other than childbirth, um, all of these other situations where you would experience pain, where you would, you know, anything that you can think of where there's pain, you recognize that pain is a sign of a problem. You know, pain is a sign of inflammation, tissue damage, like a problem. And so in the same way with periods, it would be really helpful if we understood that when a woman has a really painful period, it's actually a sign of a problem. So it can be from, uh, you know, a high degree of inflammation to, you know, in severe cases, it can be related to endometriosis, which is a really debilitating condition. Mm. And so instead of just telling women, suck it up, this is just what it is, it's time that we stop and start understanding what's happening, you know, at the root level, because it's possible to address those root cause issues of period pain and you know live without period pain so I went from having uh, like it was ridiculous like I would call it like the eight or nine out of ten on a scale sometimes that's the pre-labor kind of situation to the point that when I went into labor with my first son I was in labor like all day and I was having these contractions every 20 minutes or 15 minutes and I, I actually didn't think it was labor I thought it was <laughs> breast and hicks like until it wasn't
0: <laughs> that's insane oh my gosh <laughs>
1: Wow. like that's anytime I get an opportunity to talk about that it's important I talk about that in in the book The the vital Cell. we can go into it more if you want to but it's really important for women to hear at least one person say out loud you know yes it's common but it's not normal and if we understand it as you know basically an inf- a normal inflammatory process going haywire mm-hmm. then we can start understanding how to lower that inflammation and actually have a significant reduction in pain if not a total elimination in pain over a period of you know three to six cycles, depending on what you're dealing with, but it's certainly possible.
0: Amazing. Yeah. What are some tips for having a healthy cycle? What are some natural things? And I think you go into this in one of the chapters of your book, um, or one of the sections of your book, um, about just naturally approaching your cycle as much as possible.
1: I suppose one of the first things just to say is that when you're on hormonal birth control, you're not having a cycle. Because mm-hmm. I know that since you're having a period every 28 days it can seem like you're having a cycle so when we're talking about you know what to do to have a healthy cycle I think it's helpful to know like it means when you're actually ovulating and um, menstruating but I would say the it's interesting because a lot of the tenants of good health are the same tenants that help to improve and sustain healthy cycles totally so yeah. one of the things that I talk about a lot is sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and the importance of, you know, getting enough sleep, as well as uh, sleeping in the dark. And we can think of this from a hormonal perspective. So part of having a healthy cycle means that, you know, you you have healthy hormone production, your body's clearing those hormones. So your liver is breaking down and, you know, clearing the hormones that you're producing. And uh, you have generally a balance between the number of days before ovulation, so the amount of estrogen that you're producing throughout Mm -hmm. the cycle, as well as the progesterone that you're producing in the second half of the cycle. And so when your hormones are, you know, in a good balance, you're producing enough, you're clearing them well, then you're going to have overall uh, a pretty decent cycle. And it's really when things are happening in our life, in our diet, lifestyle, whatever is happening health-wise, that it throws off those Hormone, that, that natural hormone balance, and then that's when we see a lot of issues. Totally. So, a lot of women experience cycle related issues as they approach their period, you know, PMS. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of women will experience, you know, a variety of changes from emotional changes if they're feeling weepy or anxious or angry, <laughs> you know, as they approach it, yeah. uh, bloated, you know, acne. Like, there's a lot of different things that women might experience throughout their cycle. And so, you know, in general, what you want to do is you want to do your best to support your progesterone levels in the luteal phase, like in the, during the time between when you ovulate and you have your period. And what's interesting is that stress plays a huge role. And I feel like when you talk about stress, I I actually picture people's eyes like glazing over or like rolling their (laughs) eyes because you hear it so often. It's just kind of thrown around, but when you're charting your cycle, so when you're actually tracking your you know your mucus and you're tracking your temperature and you're paying attention to when you're ovulating and you're paying attention to how long the second half of your cycle is you know yeah. between ovulation and your period you can actually start to see very tangibly how stress affects your cycles so you can start to see that if you travel or i don't know if there's like a global pandemic or something <laughs> that You know, if certain things happen at certain times that before you ovulate, it can delay ovulation. It can have an effect on when you're ovulating. And if you're experiencing certain stressful events after ovulation, it can also shorten the, you know, the second half a little bit. You might see some spotting. So there's your cycle is very receptive to to stress. So, you know, I would say sleep is very important because when you're getting enough sleep and also when you're sleeping in the dark, you're supporting your melatonin, like your natural melatonin production that's the hormone that you produce at nighttime and when Mm -hmm. you're sleeping and when it's dark and that's what makes you sleepy and helps you to stay asleep and so by supporting your hormone production by sleeping by getting enough sleep then you're really encouraging the cycle to be healthy so there are women who have issues with their cycle they have bleeding before their period or they have a short second half of their cycle and for some women by putting blackout curtains in and, and making a point of changing their sleep environment and really upping their sleep game, if you will, yeah. uh, they can actually see significant improvements in the cycle.
0: Wow. And uh, overall health would be impacted by better sleep, right? You'd be happier, kinder.
1: Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, there's an interesting study I came across where the participants of the study didn't do anything different. They weren't exercising or anything. And just getting their you know seven to eight hours of sleep, they lost weight. And wow. we can talk about why that is, but it's just really important to maintain hormones. So that's the first thing I would say. Uh, you know, exercise is really important in general for health. And with when you're tracking your cycle, it helps you to identify if your exercise habits are, let's say, healthy. So, for example, if you are just living your life and all of a sudden you decide to do like a hardcore six-day-a-week, <laughs> two-hour-a-day type of situation, if you don't also make sure you're getting enough to eat, then if you're tracking your cycles you might actually see that that exercise causes your body to stress right. so yeah. ensuring that when you're exercising that you're getting proper number of calories to offset your Exercise um, and pay close attention to your cycle if you start to notice that, or your ovulation is delayed, or that your periods you're starting to see spotting before your period, or something like that. Like, those are signs that, okay, maybe I need to just make sure I'm getting enough rest in between yeah, workouts and break. things like that. Um, and in terms of diet, I mean, we could talk about diet a lot, but generally speaking, for it's, it's kind of the things that a lot of us know, you want to make sure that you're getting enough to eat. And I, I, I say that because I work with a lot of women. I mean, we live in an interesting culture, right? The Mm -hmm. culture tells us that we need to be skinny and it tells us that that in order to be skinny, we got to work out a lot. And so there's a lot of women who inadvertently just don't get enough to eat. So you want to make sure that you're actually eating enough and you're getting protein, fat and carbohydrates at each meal. Yeah. And although there was a long time when we were told that fat is bad and it makes us fat and all that kind of stuff, all of our hormones, our reproductive hormones, progesterone, uh, estrogen, (laughs) testosterone, Cortisol, our stress hormone, even vitamin D, are the precursor to those hormones is cholesterol.
0: Okay. So when you're
1: thinking about what can I do to make my cycles healthy and what can I do to ensure that I'm... My hormone levels are good and balanced. Well, you want to be giving yourself the tools that your body needs to make those hormones. And yes, we we can make our liver can make some degree of of cholesterol, but our liver is working twenty four seven. There's a lot of other tasks it has to do. Yeah. So if you're not eating any fat, like animal fat, because that's where we get the cholesterol from. Okay. If you're if you're not eating any animal fat, or you've been really careful to only eat zero percent yogurt or whatever the case is, then you might want to rethink that and actually start incorporating a good balance of protein, carbohydrates, and fat, you know, at every meal for the rest of your life.
0: (laughs) And and honestly, and this is going to feel like so many, oh, I have to like now go on a diet, and I have to start exercising, and I have to do all these things. But honestly, we're just Presenting all of these things to become aware of. We're talking about awareness here because if you're aware of your body and how you're feeling, and you're thinking, "Wow, I had to eat a lot of takeout this week. Maybe when I have to get more takeout, then I can make more specifically healthy choices, or I can uh, make sure that I'm going to bed on time tonight and skip that other thing that I had planned." Just prioritizing that when you start to see uh, the symptoms of poorer health.
1: Well, just to kind of share. Because the idea of going on a diet and re- it just brings yeah. up the concept of restriction. Yeah. So the conversation that I most have with my clients isn't about dieting or about how many how much calories you're supposed to eat. It's about actually looking at what you're eating and just finding ways to balance your blood sugar, finding ways to ensure that you're getting nutrient dense foods, and looking to reduce inflammation through your food choices.
0: That's so valuable. And there's two questions that I want to um, cover with the time that we have left. One of them is. Um, apps, books, websites, podcasts, resources that we can recommend for people who want to learn from scratch how to chart. The other question I want to get to is bringing this plastic-free natural option of sex into a relationship, how you kind of bring in the conversation of fertility awareness as something that you'd like to start with your partner.
1: Okay, you said that, (laughs) plastic-free. I know
0: that. I may call this podcast plastic-free sex. We'll see how it goes. (laughs)
1: I like that. I like that a lot. So in terms of resources, certainly, I mean, I've created a lot of resources to support women Mm -hmm. in this, uh, because after doing the podcast for a number of years, the number one question that I'm getting is, uh, or the number one statement that I'm getting and hearing is, women need to know about this stuff. I want to tell every single woman about this. Every woman should know. And so um, the fifth vital sign is a really, you could say information heavy, but friendly and welcoming resource. Yeah, the writing
0: uh, style is really, when really ta- approachable. <laughs>
1: well when you're talking about something that is not exactly mainstream, I really wanted to create a resource for women that not only gives the how to and the step by step and you know the why, but also provide the information. So there's over a thousand research citations, like forty pages of citations in the back. <laughs> so that you can feel confident if you are going to, say, your healthcare provider. And, and you know, a lot of women have had the experience of, okay, I'm thinking about, you know, charting. I want to come off the pill or I want to get my IUD out. And the doctor's like, well, that doesn't work. So you can flip to the page.
0: You're like, well, actually.
1: <laughs> where it shows the efficacy. And then you can go to the citation and print the paper if you want so that you can feel comfortable that it's not just Lisa saying whatever is coming out of my mouth, that mm-hmm. it's, you know, behind what I'm saying is the, the science and the evidence. And you have the ability, if you want to, to really look that up so um the fifth vital sign certainly recommend that i have a podcast the fertility friday podcast uh it's been going for a while so there's over 300 episodes Ooh, so lots nice. of great and free information about charting and, health so and this whole connection between the menstrual cycle and health um and i also created the fertility Friday or um, fertility awareness mastery charting workbook. So to my surprise, when I started doing this work, so when I first started charting, it was like circa the year 2000 and there were no apps. Right. <laughs> I didn't even get my first cell phone until I was, I think I was 17. Like I, so I'm dating myself here, but, um, so I didn't anticipate that you know, in 2020, women would really still be into paper charting. I kind of thought everyone would be switching to apps, but it turns out they're not. So great demand for my clients, essentially. I created the, the, a paper charting workbook. So for that's women who great. are interested in that, that's available. In terms of apps, I have kind of shied away from recommending specific apps because there's so many different apps uh, that, that come out all the time, and I, totally. I don't necessarily keep track of them all. But I used to recommend Kendara, and it's it's a good app, but I know that there's a lot of other apps For women who are wanting to just track their periods, I think basically any period tracker app can do. But my recommendation for women who want to chart their cycles and are looking to start this process is to really look for an app that allows you the option to turn off the prediction settings. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because when you're learning to chart, what happens is, I mean, if you're just learning, you're still not confident and you're still figuring it out. And when the app tells you that you're supposed to ovulate on this day, But you didn't. Then all of a sudden you get confused Mm -hmm. and you start to question your own observations. So my suggestion and recommendation for women who are serious and they're like, you know what, I just really want to start this charting thing, you know, turn off the prediction settings, choose an app that lets you do that, and I mean you can play with it. A lot of women actually like looking at the prediction and seeing if it's like close to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. But I would say at least give yourself a couple cycles with no prediction so that you can you have to put it in. You're forced to put it yeah. in. And that's actually why when I was learning I really liked paper.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I, I remember starting on paper um and the app that I use um that I, I tried maybe one or two. I didn't try that many, but the app that I've been using for the past three years is called Groove and it doesn't have the predictions. Uh like are you off oh, the predictions? I
1: interviewed the founder oh, wow. of Groove like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'll find that interview and include it in our show notes then because I really like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Jennifer Aldoretta. It was a long time ago. I wonder how she's doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. So my second uh, or my last question for you was, what are some tips for people for bringing up this conversation of plastic-free sex, introducing fertility awareness into their relationship? What are some tips for that?
1: In my case, I have never actually had to negotiate a change in birth control. So because I was never on birth control in a sexual relationship with a partner, I had to always negotiate the terms up front, but I never had to change it. You understand like yeah it's different if you have been having sex in a certain way for a long time and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you want to switch it up so just to kind of acknowledge that that can be a little bit ner- like it can make you nervous to think like because I'm changing something that we've been doing or I want to do what we've been doing in a different way yeah what I found over the years is that uh if anything the work that I do <laughs> with women and couples Cause primarily I'm working with women in relationships with men.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's renewed my, like, I never really had, you know, a loss of faith in men anyways, but it's, it's renewed my faith in men. If, if, oh, that's if, nice. Well, not that I, <laughs> and I just want to be clear. Like, it's not like I didn't have faith. Yeah. Just saying, maybe I should say it strengthened my faith in men.
0: Sure. So that's better. That's nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the reason I say that is because although it's nerve wracking to have these types of conversations, You know, when you're with a a loving partner, I mean, that's the first thing. He loves you. Yeah. And he wants you to be healthy and happy and sometimes it's the male partner i've had this happen who listens to my podcast and then tells his partner to like to listen and suggest that she goes off the pill i have talked to so many women whose male partners have learned about the pill and what it does to the body and they're the ones saying i don't know if you should be on this oh, so wow. from a health perspective if your partner learns that the pill has like a long list of side effects. So I go Mm -hmm. through, you know, a lot of the side effects or as many as I could come up with in the fifth vital time, but there's even more than I talked about. But um, some of the most common side effects include depression, low libido, painful sex, anxiety. Some women develop like recurrent yeast infections and then they don't know that it's related. It causes a number of nutrient deficiencies from B vitamins to zinc to you know magnesium and coenzyme q10 and it. It, it, there's a lot of issues with birth control and it has a negative effect for a lot of women on their sexual response hmm. so i did say low libido so a lot of women do find that they go on the pill and they don't want to have sex anymore some women don't experience that but a lot of women do it's one of the most common <laughs> side effects mm-hmm. there's actually a running joke like well yeah birth control works cuz you don't want to have sex anymore. <laughs> not uh, a funny joke, Aww, <laughs> but nonetheless. Um, and so what I found in the research is that, you know, there's a there was one study that measured the clitoral volume of the study participants. So they had women, uh, they measured before, and then they put them on the pill for three months. And at the end of the study, um, all of the women had experienced a reduction in the, the size of their clitoris, so a reduction in clitoral So it shrunk the clit, and the average shrinkage was 20%. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: And it's also been shown to thin the skin around the area of the opening of the vagina so thin the vulvar tissues and so obviously every single woman doesn't experience the side effects in the same way part of the reason that women are experiencing some of these sexual side effects is because when you shut down ovarian function as we talked about before it Mm -hmm. not only suppresses the natural production of estrogen and progesterone but also testosterone and although as women we produce like 90% less testosterone than men, we need the testosterone that we produce because it, it supports our sexual function, our sex drive, our libido, and also our vulvar tissues. So the, the dramatic drop in testosterone for many women affects those tissues. And what that can look mm-hmm. like in sexual relationships, you can see where I'm going with this, is that some women w- will report reduced sensation, difficulty to orgasm. And so we can talk about the health effects to your partner and say these are some of my concerns about hormonal birth control and these are yeah. some of the reasons why I'm looking to come off of it. But I think that men like it when their partners want to have sex.
0: Yeah, a bit, that's a great <laughs> thought. I'm pretty sure you are and 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> even if you
1: never want to have babies, you want to have the sex too. And I've spoken to so many women who come off the pill who didn't have an issue, like a conscious issue with their sex drive. So I've spoken to so many women who they still had a sex drive and they come off the pill and they're like, wow, like I really, <laughs> yeah, know, like, wow, I have a, my sex drive has increased so much. So there's a lot of benefits. Like you could say for the male partner in this, mm-hmm. but what I would come back to time and time again is that your partner loves you and he wants you to be happy and healthy. And if he believes that this is something that is important for your health uh, and he loves you, it's really not much of a conversation. It's more just like, okay, well, tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Tell me what I need to learn. And as long as you take the time that you need to learn and understand, I've had men participate in my program, like not the group programs, but um, in my one-on-one programs, I've, I've had men you know, attend sessions and mm-hmm. be part of it and uh, so that they can be really supportive. So it's not like every man is different. Obviously, not everyone's joining the, the session. Some men are just like, just tell me when. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell me when we can do it, right? But regardless of the level of participation, the majority of men that I have found are at least willing to play ball. And yeah. you know, if he's really not and super adamant against it, um, it could be one of two things. One, it could be that he's a jerk. Uh, or two, <laughs> it could be that he's really just scared yeah, and is uh, similar to how we all were before we knew this information that you could get pregnant every cycle and he just doesn't want yeah. that to happen. So whatever the case is, you know, you got to feel that out. If he's a jerk, well, figure that out. But if it's more information, then that's when the books and the programs, um, taking a class with an instructor. I've had a number of um, women who take my programs and, and their partners will be like, you're meeting with her again? Like, man, this is like, <laughs> this is real. This is this serious. This is serious, and yeah taking a class and like taking it seriously is how you show him no I'm serious about this and yeah. we're doing this and read this book look at page 7.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh that's awesome. The other thing that I love about ways to kind of communicate together is in my marriage prep course um they rec- we talked all about fertility awareness and one of the things was that they recommended the male partner be the one to chart. So I report to my husband what my symptoms are and he marks it down on my app at the end of the day so that and he knows what all the things mean and that's how he knows when I'm fertile and when I'm not and then we don't have to be like it's all on me it's all on the woman to know when we're allowed to have sex and I have to be the one to say no and I have to be the one that says like whatever instead We're on the same page. And I feel like that is a really valuable thing in our relationship.
1: Aw, remember when I said (laughs) that all the work I do has strengthened my... (laughs) <laughs> men. Um, I love hearing stories like that mm-hmm. and that's exactly to the point that most men are very open to it now in my relationship my partner is definitely not <laughs> writing it down um, uh, every, every relationship is different so I wouldn't yeah. necessarily expect every man to do whatever no. No,
0: that's anyone
1: who's in a relationship with a man knows it's like he's gonna he has his personality he's gonna be open to certain things and not to others but at the end of the day like there's so much benefit to this for men
0: yeah
1: um, and I can't stress enough, part of it is the sex drive, but part of it is um, when you're cycling. I, I just did uh, a call yesterday for my podcast, and I do a pill reality series. And uh, so I've interviewed, I don't even know how many women uh, who share their pill stories. And this woman said something that I have heard hundreds of times. And she said she was trying to describe it. She was like, it was like when I came off of it, she was like, it's like I felt more centered like I felt more connected to the world. And I didn't realize it until I came off. She was like, it was kind of like a haze was lifted. And so for a lot of women, they may or may not realize that when they're on the pill, they're, they're somewhat disconnected from their bodies. Kind of, they describe it like a veil coming off Wow, and they're able to then kind of know themselves at a deeper level. And, you know, add that to the fact that for a lot of women, I mean, when you come off the pill, your testosterone increases. So regardless of how you experience it in your body, there are certain physiological things that happen for every woman who's on birth control, (laughs) right? Um, And one of those things is this dramatic suppression of your testosterone and other hormones. So when you come off the pill, gradually your testosterone does increase and go somewhat back to normal. And so... There's just a lot of, I don't know, I I, I really think, I, I really stress the sex part because I believe that we all have the right to experience the true, full expression of our sexuality and anything that stands in the way of that is a huge problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If this was a conversation about men and there was something that, you know, impaired a man's ability to have an erection or impaired his ability to experience orgasm or somehow reduce the sensation how many conversations can you imagine in the world that have taken place about how condoms reduce sensation and how i mean for both parties but often it's presented like as a a thing for men right like it reduces their sensation this is considered a problem so it should also be considered a problem that we know that hormonal birth control suppresses Our sexual and and I talk about the pill a lot, and I know it's kind of like she's putting it down the pill and she's saying it's bad and all that. But for me, it's more of like you should be aware that these are the things that are happening. And if you're most of us aren't aware, so we're not really making an informed choice. It's different to choose something when you know versus you choose it, you don't really know, and then you come off of it five years later and then you realize, like,
0: yeah, that's not fair. Those
1: two things are different.
0: That's amazing. I have loved every minute of this conversation. We didn't really get into the details of what charting looks like and what your different symptoms look like and feel like
1: so with cervical fluid a lot of women may have noticed that there are times of their cycles where they notice creamy lotion like you know discharge you could say uh, and or like a wet clear stretchy kind of like raw egg white Discharge or uh, a sensation of lubrication. So, if you're wiping and it feels like you're it's gliding, or you are actually walking around through the day and you feel really wet. So, some women will feel wet and they feel like they're oh is my period coming? And they go to the bathroom and there's no period. Mm-hmm. So, if you've experienced any of those types of sensations or you know experiences, then that is what mucus looks like. And so, you produce cervical fluid as you approach ovulation. In that Pre ovulatory stage, you consider all mucus to be fertile. So, if you again take something from today's call, when you see the creamy cervical fluid before you've ovulated, when you see the clear stretchy, or when you have this sensation of wetness, or it's really lubricative and slippery when you wipe, then it means you're fertile. It means that the sperm can live for up to five days, and if you have unprotected sex, you can have a baby. So, if you want a baby, have the sex. And if you don't want a baby, Sort it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do um, something else.
1: Figure out how you're going to manage uh, that period of time. So that's cervical fluid, and then in terms of temperature, to get an accurate, you know, or to to monitor your temperature throughout your cycle, basically the temperature is measuring your resting metabolism. And what's really interesting is that after you ovulate, you produce significant amount of progesterone and as you produce that progesterone, it causes a thermogenic effect in the body. So it essentially causes your body temperature to rise. Mm-hmm. And when I started charting, it was like, I'm kind of a science nerd. It was so, like, cause I'm charting, I'm tracking it on like my, it was like a printed Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you see that it goes up, up yeah. and it stays up after ovulation. So essentially temperature just helps you to confirm that you've ovulated mm-hmm. and you just take it every day in the morning before you get out of bed.
0: How do you take your temperature?
1: Well, the majority of the women that I work with take their temperature orally. That's
0: so that's idea. the most
1: common. I like
0: that but <laughs> there's three
1: main ways that you can take it. So okay. you can take it orally, vaginally, or axillary under your arm. Okay. And, you know, in a sense, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like which, which is most convenient. Um, to get an accurate temperature, I do suggest that you hold the thermometer in your mouth for 10 minutes. So with the beeping, like the, the digital thermometers, you would put the thermometer in your mouth hold it for 10 minutes, and then push the button after the 10 minutes. And, I mean, you can play with that for the experienced or not experienced charters who are listening. When you hold it for longer, you allow the temperature to stabilize, and so you get a better temperature.
0: That's kind of nice because then you can set the alarm and then turn off the alarm and get to lie there for 10 minutes or hit the snooze button and then just get to have a a nice extra lie-in before (laughs) getting up. So for
1: some (laughs) women, it's nice, and for others, they're like, I want to get out of bed, Lisa. This is annoying. (laughs) wherever you fall.
0: Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to to share with our listeners today before we wrap up?
1: Well, all I would say is that if this resonates with you, I just, you know, even if it's something you've never heard before, if you're feeling excited, but also a little bit terrified of, you know, coming off of birth control, depending on the situation, I would just want you to know that you can do it. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of women around the world who actively use fertility awareness um and a huge percentage of women who use fertility awareness use it for birth control use it successfully use it for years you just never hear about us we're not on tv we're not in popular (laughs) media talking about it but we're we're just on podcasts and so you know if this is all new have a listen to my podcast grab a copy of the vital sign like start educating yourself about it there's lots of information out there and if you're serious about it, just know that you can do it the first free chapter of the book you can get over at the fifth Um, and the information about the workbook and everything is, is also on that site.
0: I think that is so inspiring. I'm really excited for anybody who's listening to just, to just try it and just learn more about it and start listening to your podcast. If you're already into listening to podcasts, then just start there. And, uh, yeah, I think this is, so exciting! Everybody needs to know this. <laughs> <laughs> Shout it the rooftop! Yeah, <laughs> how can we get this into every high school and elementary school curriculum? That would be the next thing for me.
1: <laughs> that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book. And I know I'm like, sound like I'm plugging the book, but to be honest with you, it's like if I sat, like if I were to sit around and like wait until the schools decide to teach this stuff i might not even be alive anymore it might be two generations from now so Mm -hmm. i was like what can i actually do now so i think that with any change us as women we're the ones that are going to cause this change if this is new to people then all i can say is that the landscape today is completely different than it was 20 years ago when oh, i wow. first discovered this information when i first discovered this information there were no there was no social media <laughs> there were no apps there was there were a couple of books and i mean two yeah. like not not literally two but there was a couple of books not a lot there was a few women who were doing this and who had been doing this, but it was certainly not popular, trendy, mm-hmm. and there it, it wasn't spreading like wildfire that it is now. Like, this year, I've interviewed, like, like, I don't know, seven people who wrote books about periods and birth control, you know, like, so this year. So (laughs) these books came out like within the last year or two. So we're in a completely different landscape. So if this is new uh, information for you, just know that this is a great, great time for periods. Periods are getting their moment of sunshine, even though it's not in popular media. And there is so much support information for you it's what that tells me is that we're not waiting for this stuff to be taught in junior high we're going to do it ourselves and we're going to disseminate and share this information with our girlfriends with our daughters with our nieces uh we're we're the ones that are doing this and so that's that's what i got to say about that
0: thank you so much for being on the podcast like i want to cry i'm so excited about this conversation and how valuable all this information is it's so good Thank you for talking with me and sharing with all of our listeners. Of course,
1: you're welcome. This was (laughs) a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you want to learn more from Lisa, be sure to check out her website, fertilityfriday.com, as well as her podcast and her book, The Fifth Vital Sign. If you have questions any questions at all, you can contact Lisa through the contact page on her website. She would be so happy to talk with you for days about how to get started or the multitude of topics surrounding plastic-free sex that we may not have covered in as much detail as you need. The majority of this podcast's audience is female, but for the few male outliers that made it this far in the episode, thank you as well. It is so important that everyone knows this information, so pass this episode on to the men and women in your life and make sure they check out Lisa as a resource. If you did enjoy today's episode remember you can leave a review in app it's super easy and it helps the show a lot if you would like to support the show and the work that I do each week you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee over at coffee.com slash alzabethkallian it means so much to have your support to keep the show going I really really love today's episode even though it can be a complicated issue to be sure know that you can always reach out to me if you have a kind polite question and I'll do my best to answer them but that's all from me this week have a great week everyone and talk to you soon